Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Psalm chapter 1, I think it's a most appropriate passage for a new year for us to kind of recalibrate where we've been and where we're headed and what we're doing and what we are in the midst of. Let me read these six verses for us and then we will continue. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. How many of you would be ready and willing to say 2020 was my best year for spiritual growth ever? I didn't think so. That's a good way to silence the crowd at the beginning of a sermon. I I don't know that you would take 2020 and put it in the same sentence with best in reference to anything. I think we can all agree upon that. As a matter of fact, it's gotten so bad for me that I'm tired of using it as an illustration of bad. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it is worn out. It is a dead horse that keeps getting kicked, and yet I've got a few more kicks left in me. I... uh, I feel like maybe we uh, have shared sentiment in that. And as we consider all this taking place in the world today, all the headache and heartache and hurt, one can quickly wonder, where do we go from here? Now, I'm going to confess to you, I have no idea where here is. (laughs) I don't know that we can know where we are at fully. But we have to ask the question, where do we go from here. You see, as Christians, we know this that there is no amount nor type of trial or test nor of temptation that is outside of God's power to bring good to our life. I'm going to repeat that because I want you to hear that. I'm going to say it in several different ways this morning, but I want you to know it from the very beginning. There is no amount and there is no type of trial of test nor of temptation that is outside of God's power to bring good to our lives. You see, God works to bring glory through our lives when we look to Him. That's what Psalm 1 is all about. It is is an appeal. It's an invitation. It's an exhortation. It's a crying out to all of creation. Look to the Lord for His blessing is like none other. And so I appeal to us today 
But what Psalm 1 clearly sets forth for us is that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are the righteous, those who live under God's blessing, and there are the wicked, those who do not. And in between those two extremes, there is no gray area. It's one or the other. Let me ask a pointed question. Have you considered which one describes you? Have you considered which one captures the desire of your life? I'm hoping that our time together this morning will help to clarify the answer of those questions for you and direct you very pointedly in the direction of righteousness. You see, there may be some uncertainty about where we go from here in terms of direction, but how it is that we move forward has no uncertainty to it. For the aim of a Christian life remains regardless of what is taking place around us. We are called by God and salvation in the name of Jesus Christ to become like the one who became like us, who took our place and died for us, gave his life, for us, paid our debt for us, rose from the grave, and gives to us his life. This is our call. This is the call of spiritual maturity, and the path has not, nor will it ever change. We, by faith, are made into the likeness of Jesus Christ as the presence, as the work, and as the power of God rests upon us. This is the blessing of God to us. I want us to see, first of all, the path that the psalmist sets forth for us and to know that path. And then I'm going to appeal to you by four promises to pursue that path with all of your being in this year. Here's what I want you to know, that the life blessed by God becomes more like Jesus in his righteousness. The life that is blessed by God becomes more like Jesus in his righteousness. So as we walk through this passage today and we see the how of forward movement to spiritual maturity, to Christ-likeness, as we consider the question with two words that we are are probably in many ways equally uh, amiss of of referencing ourselves with, are we righteous or are we wicked? Should be very clear to us today. Of this passage. You see, the psalmist doesn't attempt to deal with every issue of life or every problem in life. But I do believe at a time of year when we make resolutions to improve our life, and rightfully so, and in a year when I think we could all agree some improvement at the very least is, would be helpful, we must address this one main issue for all of life as Christians. Will we walk with God? Or will we live isolated, neglecting him in our life? And so the psalmist calls to us, blessed is the man. That word for blessed simply means favored in every way. It's the the presence, it's the power, it's the countenance, it's the whole of God's being placed over the whole of our being. 
And you see, no matter the situation, no matter the area of life, no matter the circumstance in which you find yourself, blessing is God's favor on life. There is nothing of this world that can prevent God from blessing you. There is nothing of this world that can undo the blessing of God upon you. But without blessing, there will be no growth, there will be no maturity, there will be no transformation, there will be none of the promise of God fulfilled in us, to us, or for us. And so to describe this blessing, the psalmist employs three contrasts between what is and what is not. And he does it in three areas of life. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. Blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. And I want to take our time to begin with and dial these in for us to three areas of life, our primary or principal influences of life, the practices and patterns of our life, and then ultimately the source of our strength for life and how it is that we relate to others, those last two going together. And I'll make that relationship when we get there. First and foremost, the area of primary influences. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of of the wicked. That word for walk is a, a theme or a concept in the scriptures that references the whole of a person's life and the way that they live that life. It's the way that you go about. And the psalmist issues a dire warning that living by worldly wisdom, living by human rationale, or living by the counsel that fails or neglects to consider God's wisdom and to give it first priority in life is to live as one who is wicked versus one who is righteous. You see, we don't ask what makes sense. We ask, what does God's word say? You say, well, does God's word not make sense? It doesn't when you're living sourced from a human rationale. How often the word of God confronts us in the ways of the world, and we go, how could that even possibly be true? It just doesn't make sense at times. But that's not the question that Christians lead their life by. The question that we lead our life by is, what does God's word say to us? And you see, friends, as you walk, as you live your life by the primary influences in your life, and you're asking this word, what, or this question, what does God's word say? Your life and the walk of it will be determined by what you intentionally put in your life and what you unintentionally put up with in your life. Your walk will be determined by what you intentionally put into your life and what you unintentionally put up with in your life. And let me highlight what I just tried to point out. Tension is at the center of both of those. Why? Because what God is doing is not from us. It is not within us but he is bringing it to us. Tension is essential for growth. 
And what needs to be put into us is confronting what is already present within us. And what needs to be dealt with by us is remaining in us because the fact is we haven't embraced the tension to deal with it until now. But God is faithful in that way. You see, the person who wants to live under God's blessing walks by faith in God's wisdom by refusing to walk in the counsel of wickedness. Or we could also say, worldliness. And let me tell you, worldliness will be some of the most common and familiar counsel that you'll ever hear. It will automatically sound like, that just sounds so right and reasonable. But the question remains, does it align and accord with God's Word? Because it doesn't matter how it feels to you. What matters is whether it accords with God's word. And so I would encourage you to reflect upon your own life. What influences are directing the way that you live, the way that you parent your children, the way that you relate to your spouse, the way that you relate to your coworkers or your employees or your employer or all of those people around you? What counsel is directing you? What Counsel is discerning you in decisions. In other words, cutting through the clutter to clarify what needs to be decided. That's what discerning means, to cut to clarity. And and what counsel is it in your life that is being put into you that's helping you to discern what you should do and how you should do and who you are doing and the way in which you walk or live? What counsel is helping you to determine the way you think, the way you live your life? Where life doesn't align with God's word, you can know this. You're not walking according to God's counsel. Is that important for us? It absolutely is essential for us. Because the psalmist begins by telling us, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of of the wicked, but walks in the counsel of God's word. That'll culminate in just a moment. The second area that he points out is the, the consideration of the practices and the patterns of our life. Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. That there is a way of life by which sinners go about their life. Now, this word for stand, again, is also a concept in the Scriptures that can be counter to the way that we just ordinarily think of it. It it, it means to stay in one place, and we're all kind of on the same page with that one. It means to remain, and yes, we too are on the same page with that. But listen to me, this concept of stand in the Scriptures determines perseverance, Will you be on your feet when it's all said and done? Or will you be flat on your back? That's the concept that we are wrestling with here. And that will be determined by what you do or where you turn when trouble rises, when trials find you, and when tests set upon you. Yes, friends, all people sin and fall short of the glory of God. The scriptures are not remiss of this. They don't act as if that doesn't happen. 
That's what Paul teaches in his teachings of how the gospel works out. He, he says, what a wretched man I am. I, I do what I don't want to do and what I know I ought to be doing. I, I never seem to do it. And if I do it, I do it wrong. So there is a war between the new man and the old man, between the sinful nature and the spirit of God that is inhabiting us. The scriptures hold well that understanding. But listen, how we continually choose to obey God, to trust him, whether in his will or in his way, will be determined by whether or not we neglect or rebel against his word. Why? Because he is the one upon who our feet must be planted in order to stand. Where your feet are planted will determine whether you persevere or not. In any trial, in any test, in any temptation, you can know this. That you will only persevere to greater righteousness if your feet are standing on Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul's counsel in the New Testament about, uh, about how it is that we are to stand and how important this is for our life. He, he tells us to stand against the way that opposes God by standing in Jesus Christ, the one who is God for us. First of all, we're to stand on the finished work of Jesus Christ, not striving to do something for God, to earn our acceptance, to please God by our own striving towards and after, but rather to stand on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand Firm them, not on what you can offer to God, but what God has offered up in your place, Jesus Christ. When you come before God and you don't feel accepted by God, know this, your feelings has nothing to do with God's orientation to you. It's only by the finished work of Jesus Christ. You're never going to feel accepted by God because of what you've done. You must by faith accept the work that God has done for you. And to apply your feeling to where the truth of God has established you. Stand firm there. Not because of you, but because of what God has done for you. That's what Paul teaches us. He also teaches us that in the living of our life, our standing matters and will be determined, be determined by what we do with Christ. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13 says to take up the whole armor of God. In other words, we are to clothe ourselves with the spiritual armor that God in Christ Jesus has provided for us. And then he says, do this that you may be able to withstand every temptation, every act, every inclination of evil that dare to come against you. And listen to this, having done all, you see that? You see, that phrase right there is where many of you find yourself today. It's the end of you. Like some of you have seen the end of you in the rearview mirror. You're so far past the end of you. You're done with you. Like your strength, your vitality, it ran out some time ago. And you are cruising on fumes. But do you know how he ends that verse? 
Not by recognizing the fact that you have done all, but by recognizing where you are when you've come to the end of yourself, but you are holding on by being held by Jesus Christ. He says this, to stand. Those may be two of the most blessed words in all of Scripture for our new year. After you've done it all, and you've come up short, to stand. And then he tells us the third aspect in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. 57 verses of declaring the clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he's come, he died, he was buried, and he was raised to new life on the third day. And then teaching us of all of the realities of the power of God and his resurrecting power in our life. At the end of that chapter of scripture, he says to us, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand on the finished work of Christ. Clothe yourself in the armor that he has given to you and give yourself fully to the work of God in your life and through your life. You see, Christians who walk with God persevere by standing on God's word by faith and obedience. Not just knowing it, friends. Because James tells us the man who knows God's word but does not do it is like the one who looks in the mirror and can't see what stands right in front of him because of what he's already conjured up in his mind. But when we obey, God grants to us perfect understanding. Any area of life in you where you're failing to persevere against temptation... You keep finding yourself giving over to the same sin and that temptation that comes to you. Any any area of your life where trials continue to come back and beat up on you and you feel like you've mastered them, but then they return and and with a greater vengeance and a greater intensity than before. Anything like that going on in your life? Is there any test that has come upon you that you feel like you know you performed you didn't do your best but you got through it and you moved on and yet the same test comes back around like my freshman class at the end of the year when I turned in my final and my professor looked at me and said is that really the answer you want to give and after the third time of doing that I said I got nothing else that's it you're gonna have to write that big f across the top if that's what it is But if there's any bonus points that I could get from brown-nosing, I'm happy to do that as well. Anything keep returning to you like that? Where are you standing, friends? Where are your feet anchored? What are you clothed with? What are you holding to? What are you giving yourself to? Are you standing on the rock who is also our refuge? And then he says, blessed is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. This third consideration deals with where it is we draw strength and how it is we relate to other people. And you say, well, how is it that those two things go together? Well, I'll tell you. Seat is a place or a source of strength. 
It's a source of power. It's a position of influence that steers or directs in a certain way. Think about in your idea of a king who is sitting on the throne. It is the seat of the throne that exercises power, that authorizes. And so it is in that seat when the king sits that he speaks with authority. Or it is in that seat where the people under that king's rule look to for their own strength and their own power and their own influence of how the country or how their life might go. And and that seat might be a formal place in reference to what I've just talked about, a place that is recognized in the public square. But that seat might also be a private place. And the way it is that a person positions themselves under or near or next to or among other people Think about this for a moment. Does not sit in the seat of scoffers is not only that which is most influencing you and you're allowing yourself to be influenced by, but it's also the way that you are recognizing who you are in Christ and whether you are influencing other people for the sake of Christ. It's no wonder that in a world when we're more disconnected relationally, though connected technologically. The greatest issues of our life continue to be the original issues of our life. Man fears, people-pleasing, manipulation, coercion to get our way, to take care of me, and to make sure I'm able to blame you. These are not new, friends. These are not new. Ask yourself two questions. Where is the seat from which I'm drawing my strength? It may sound strange, but Christian, God's word says we are, listen to me, seated with Christ. Do you know where the source of our authority, where the source of our power, where the source of our strength is? It is at the right hand of God where we are seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 tells us that we were raised up with him and that we are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, the faith that saves is the faith that seats you at the right hand of God for all power, for all authority, and for the source of every strength that you need, not only for eternity, but for every step you take throughout the day. Christians draw strength from the only place that sustains us, the throne of God, where we are seated with Jesus Christ. Is that the seat from which you are drawing your strength? And the second question that I would impose upon you is to say, are you sharing that strength and that power that you have in Christ with others? You see, the power that you share reveals the strength that you're depending on to live from. You will not share what you do not trust, but you will always live out what you trust most. And sharing Christ is the power of life. No matter what it is that rages around you, draws from him for strength to stand. It also produces from him. Some people go, you know, I would share Jesus more if I were just a little more bold. And I pray, God, give me boldness so I can share. But friends, that's the direct opposite order. 
And Satan loves to keep Christians bound up in that line of thinking. But I'm telling you, if you'll reverse the order, you'll have a fold of boldness for Christ that you've never experienced. The whole book of Acts tells us that every time boldness came to the apostles, it was immediately following faithful witness plus persecution for that faithful witness resulted in greater boldness in Jesus Christ. You see, friends, how you walk or how you live your life, whether you stand to persevere, will always be determined by where you know yourself to be seated, where you're drawing strength from as the source of your life. And that's what the psalmist is telling us. And he says this, he says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. But, but, It's not just about what you avoid. It is about what you consume your life with. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Why? He is consumed with the one whose word comes to us. You see, blessing flows through an ever-increasing all-consuming, day-by-day, moment-by-moment overflow of walking with Jesus in His Word. Reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on God's Word is the single greatest practice and discipline for the Christian. Bar none. If you want to be righteous, if you want to be blessed as the righteous are blessed, If you don't want to be wicked, there's only one way to change the fact that we already are. And that's Jesus Christ. I I, I want to implore you to pursue Jesus through his word in this year by the four promises that the psalmist sets forth for us. Four promises of God's blessing to become more like Jesus. Promise number one is provision. God's blessing means provision. What is he like? He is like a tree planted by streams of living water. You see, the imagery here is a never-ending provision for all of the demands of life. Doesn't matter what it is, doesn't matter when or how, it's present. What Jesus tells the woman at the well, he says, I am living water, and if you drink of me, you will never thirst again. That's what the psalmist is teaching us here by the imagery. When your soul finds rest in Jesus, sourced in him, it finds the only one that satisfies our every longing. This is not to say that we will not have our need in life, but that in every need, Jesus will show himself faithful and true to meet those needs. And so in regards to this first promise that God's blessing means provision, the question that you must deal with is, are you living out of the eternal well of living water, or are you drinking from the best pools and puddles that the world has to offer? The second promise is that God's blessing on life means that it is productive. Look at what it says in verse 3. It yields its fruit in its season. It is productive. Listen to me, friends. I don't know if I'm going to get through this. But the life that is planted deeply and sourced fully always produces fruit. There is no such as a non-spiritual fruit-bearing Christian. 
It doesn't exist. Why? Because Christians don't produce the fruit. God does. Nothing provides lasting meaning without God's blessing on it. I don't care how much you accrue. I don't care how much you bring in. It will all be for the damnation of your soul without God's hand on it. But when God blesses, everything produces fruit in its season. And few things bring meaning to life like productivity, like that task or that job or that project that you give yourself to, that goal that you set. And when you achieve it, there is a sense of satisfaction, of accomplishment, of just sense of pleasure, of yes, it is done. But I'll be honest with you, in a year like 2020, productivity didn't even seem to be on the board, right? It was just all toil and labor. And this is a most important lesson for us to learn, maybe the greatest of the day. 1 Corinthians 3 teaches us only God is the one who causes the growth and brings the harvest. Only God. And friends, nothing says, God, I trust you, like gratitude with what you have today and rest in what you can offer today. Even when you know it didn't measure up to your standards, let alone God's. That's all I got, God. You know what God says to that? It's okay. Close both eyes tonight when you sleep. I got you. But listen to this, friends. This is what he's teaching us. Not every season is a season of fruit. Like we get this in the world. Like I have a pecan orchard in my backyard. They're all about this tall right now. And I have to put big sticks with flags on them for anybody to even see it. But I have a vision for a pecan orchard. But this won't be the season of fruit for those pecans. I get that about the trees. I don't really want to have that in my own life. But it's true. Not every season is a season of fruit. But every season has its work and has its labor. So when the season of fruit comes, the fruit will be there. You see, spiritual harvest doesn't hold much value in the eyes of the world. But for Christians, we know this. There is no season that is worthless with God. There is no season of your life that will have any waste with God. None. God doesn't need a trash collection system. He recycles everything perfectly. And with God's blessing, every season of faithfully walking with Him produces an abundance of spiritual harvest. Not just a pittance, an abundance. Why? Because that's how God works. He fed the 5,000 with what? Food enough for maybe one and a half? And so the question remains, are you investing in the labors 
through which God can bring the harvest? Are you recognizing the season in which you live so that you can trust in God to bring about what He wants to bring about through it? 2020 can either be a total waste or it can become a year unto harvest for you. 2020 for me was a year I had to learn to give thanks in all things. While not being able to give thanks for all things. But by the promise of God, I resolve, and I invite you to as well. I will not allow one second, one lesson, one hardship, one headache, nor one heartbreak to be wasted in God's divine plan. I resolve not to allow anything that occurred in my life in 2020 to get wasted, but for every last inkling of it to be used by God to bring an abundance of good when He chooses, in the way He chooses, for the reasons that He chooses. Don't let your 2020 be wasted. The third promise is that God's blessing means we can persevere. It says its leaf does not wither. Excuse me. God's blessing comes even in test and trial, hardship and suffering. You see, friends, persevering in life by walking with Jesus simply means to remain in his word. Because his word is the only thing you can put into your life that will never falter, weaken or fail. And when you feel your weakest, be careful you do not run to the places, the ways, or the wisdom and rationale of the world. Your news feed won't sustain you for the next hour, let alone the next week or year. But the word of God will not return void. So run to the place where the eternal divine strength and power resides. Where you are already seated, run to Jesus. The fourth promise is that God's blessing means prosperity. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, prosperity seems a tricky thing today. We don't use that word much because so many shysters have abused it and overused it. But the truth is, it is God's will to prosper you. The problem is our vision of success so often looks diametrically different than God's vision for it. But let me tell you this. God's blessing does mean prosperity in all that you do. Proverbs 16.3 tells us, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. It may not come in the way. It may not come in the wind. It may not come for the same will that you want it to. But it will come. God will see to it. We need not fear prosperity as long as we recognize it as God's blessing for our life. And faithful stewardship gives us the opportunity for the ongoing recognition of God's blessing in our life. You see, the righteous recognize all 
is from God's hand. And as his blessing from him to us. To be a blessing to him and to others. And so I close with one final motivating truth. This comprehensive statement describes the one who is blessed. For the Lord knows your way. I want to ask you today, are you resting and trusting in that? God knows your way. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knows why you're where you are. He knows everything that's going on right where you are. There isn't anything outside of his control. There's not anything outside of his care. There's not anything outside of his counsel. There is nothing that is threatening. There is nothing that is present. There is nothing that is past that will surpass the ability to God to bring good to your life. Will you? Look to him in this year for his glory. Let's pray.